Welcome back to this special two-part episode of Here Comes Pod with my wonderful guest, Marion Edwards. In the second half of our chat, Marion talked with typical candor about the barriers she faced as a female executive when she started out in the business and the progress that was made over the course of her career. We also discussed the Disney takeover of Fox and some of her favourite shows. came to sharing her lockdown media, Marion's creative thinking took the pod in new directions. So enjoy this special edition of the show. Was it a tough environment for a woman starting out when you did start out? And could you sense those winds of change? And, and in a way, do you think you helped in your own way to contribute to that change by becoming a very successful senior executive within the business and therefore a role model? I mean, that's an interesting question and one that I've been asked to address multiple times during the course of my career and, uh, and subsequent after, you know, to my retirement. And at the time that I started, there were virtually no women. There was one woman at a, sort of upper middle management position at Universal, uh, actually two. And one was, they were good examples of, of kind of how women fell into categories. One was kind of a tough, chain-smoking, profane guy kind of woman, you know, with short gray hair and really very difficult reputation to work with. And the other one was uh, a sort of a, a much younger, I would say in her late 30s, blonde, very purposely sexy woman. And I think she eventually left after her affair with a senior executive came to light. So when I started, there were kind of two kinds of women. There was one of the guys and the girlfriends. So when I started, I very consciously veered to the one of the guys category. But it was it was interesting because someone I worked with in the first couple of years that I was working in management took me aside and he said, you know, you're not dressing right. You've heard about you know, dress for success. And he said, you just don't dress right. I said, really, what do you mean? He said, well, you should be wearing suits. And I said, mm, no, I should not be wearing suits. And if I have to wear a suit to do this job, then I don't really know that I want to, I don't want to dress like a man, you know, in order to have this job. And he thought I was dressed right. He told me I dressed more like a hippie. And I guess he meant I, I wore dresses and scarves and jewelry and, you know, was not interested, as I said, in looking like a guy. But it was a very uh, unusual time. I, in my fr- while I was at Universal, I married and then had two children. After the birth of my daughter, which is, she was my second child, when I came back from my very short, what we call maternity leave, but it was like six weeks after the birth of your baby and you were back. And, um, you know, my boss, my then boss, who shall remain nameless, said to me, well, you know, you were gone. I don't think we really missed you. And I said, well, it's because I was working every day, rolling calls and dictating over the phone. And 
He goes, well, I'd like you during the staff meeting, I'd like you to stay outside and at, the, at my desk, my secretary's desk and answer the phone. At that point, I was a vice president of that division. And that's when I realized I can't stay here. I can't. This is when you're going to be punished, when I'm being punished for having a child. I just, this is not an environment I want to work in. So that's when I left and went to, went to um, MGM. And I worked with a much younger man, Tony Lynn, who is, will always be, if not my very best boss, very close to it. Because he, he was wonderful. He was young and he was married and he had children. So he was very understanding. And, and I laid out the rule that, that I would travel, but I needed to leave on Sunday and be back on Friday. I did never wanted to be gone for the weekend because I had little children. And he said, that is not a problem. I'm going to be doing the same thing. So when you, as soon as you had someone who was of a different generation, had different expectations, both of him as himself as a father and understanding what I wanted to achieve as a mother, things were much easier for me uh, to work. And then it was the battle of, when there's a trip and you're going to miss a birthday or I very famously, when I was at Fox, I'm famously renowned with all within my friendship circle and many of my work coworkers, I was invited to join Rupert Murdoch on a trip to China, but it coincided with my daughter's birthday. So I declined and everyone like fell around in shocked amazement. I said, you know, here's the thing. Rupert Murdoch will not remember in a month that I was in a week that I was not on that trip. My daughter will remember her whole life that I missed her birthday. And I, that's not a trade I'm willing to make. So you do have to make a lot of decisions when you decide to live your life as a wife, mother, and businesswoman. And there were times when I felt like I never felt once I left Universal that I was ever punished for that. Again, Jim Giannopoulos had young children, had a young daughter. So he knew what the, what the requirements were. But in business, there was always that boys club kind of feel and even though you were I was very much always not part of a girl the rank of girlfriends there's also the door that closes in your face when they go into the steam room you know there's just that final hurdle that I think women can't ever get over and I very much at times sensed that that was in play now, I would say that's the earlier part of my career. Once I got to Fox, for a long time, I was still the only woman in the room. But then that started to change. And there were some remark. Margaret Lesh was a remarkable executive, enormously successful. They had a woman who was the head of their legal department, who was very sharp, again, very successful, very well thought of. So there started to be more and more women and women that were getting an opportunity to start in lower ranks of management and then moved up quite, quite quickly. So I think that the times finally caught up. There still was that final hurdle to get over to get into senior, senior management. But even that was overcome, I think. And you have some enormously successful women. Gail Berman was one as the head of the network. Dana Walden is one. I mean, we had a lot of women that, that ended up being way more successful than I, than I am and was. And I think that all women like myself who started out and fought the hard fight when there weren't any other women, but you kept advancing through hard work, good work, and just contribute and contribution 
where people recognized that you were, women were reliable and were capable and were deserving of, of promotion. And one of the nicest things anyone said in my farewell movie video that they made for me was a young woman, uh, Gina Brogy, who worked for me at the, the last few years of my career. And she said, you know, Marion opened the door for most of us and then left it open. And I thought, well, that's a very nice thing to say. And what about the clients? Because I was reading in uh, some of the research that there were times in certain places where people wouldn't shake hands with you. And uh, Oh, yeah. That was an Australian client that he refused to shake hands with me, which was just incredible. And there was the, the president of the division when I worked at Universal again, who I was in the middle of a meeting with a client and he walked in and asked me to come out and make, and make coffee for him. I mean, just jaw-dropping stuff, you know, where you just could not believe that that was happening. And I, I um, you know, I once had a guy come from Latin America to meet with me, just an arrogant, horrible client and hadn't paid any of his bills for God forever. And, and so I made him wait. I made him sit in the lobby and wait. And his staff called up, one of his staff members called up and said, we want to thank you for finally, you know, showing him that he wasn't in charge of everything. Were you shocked when you heard that, there were negotiations for Disney to buy Fox. <laughs> you know, I may be the only person who kind of wasn't shocked by that. I think a little bit surprised just by the speed with which it happened and the complete cone of secrecy over it was remarkable. I mean, truly to carry off something that pull off something that big with so few people in the loop was remarkable. Uh, but again, not unheard of with Mr. Murdoch. When Fox lost its bid to buy Warner, it became kind of obvious if you were really paying attention that this kind of consolidation was going to happen. I'm not sure we thought we knew it would be Fox, but in an effort to try to, to get enough size to truly be competitive uh, in an online environment, you knew something was going to start to move and happen. I think now the thing that surprises me the most is that there are still some independent studios who were not, have not been, been consolidated with other studios and are still attempting to, to progress their business model based on yesterday rather than on what is clearly the present and the future of the industry. So That's it made total sense, but it, as I said, it, because it, it seemed like a shot out of the dark because no one had any idea they were even considering it. But again, once he lost the, the uh, you know, once he was unable to, to buy Warner, he just sort of felt like it was probably a matter of time before some big move like this happened, where either he found another studio to buy or would sell the studio. And I have to say, hats off to, to Mr. Murdoch, because he was never emotional about any of it. Right? It's like... The rest of us are like, oh, a studio, a studio's gone. And it's like, for him, it's like, this makes sense. And it's the way the industry's moved, that business is moving, and I'm moving with it. In fact, I'm going to lead it. So, But let's be emotional for uh, a brief second uh, in terms mm -hmm. of the product. Is there any, any of the shows, any of the movies in your time, when you look back on as a, as a real favorite, the one you think, I really enjoyed being associated with that or really stands out? Oh, you know, there's so many, so many. I mentioned Buffy earlier, and, and Buffy was such a pleasure for me because it was such a surprise when you think of its 
heritage. You know, it was an unsuccessful film, a very young creator, producer, a very offbeat premise, purposely turning things on their on its head to take this Buffy, this silly name, little cheerleader girl and turning her into the savior of the world. And then having it become such a cultural phenomenon where classes were taught about, about it in college at university level. And I mean, it was really remarkable. And that, that was a very fun, also led to my friendship with Gail Berman, who was the producer of that and one of the producers of it. And, and also because people used to call me Buffy's aunt because it became a, a flag I had to plant in every territory. And, you know, I leaned on relationships with people. I leaned on brokered new kinds of deals that we've never done before in an effort to get it on air because I had such confidence that if it got on air, it would work. And I can't think of a single country where it didn't work, but it was a fight every place. So, and, and also it was a show that I watched with my daughter. Uh, I took her to the set on one of her birthdays. So it became a very special sort of family thing as well as a show I really liked and had a lot of faith in. So there's that. Um, again, so many shows. Murder One was a huge pleasure, even though it was ultimately not a successful series. It was groundbreaking. It was smart. It was really great. I think Glee, when we saw the pilot of Glee, we could not believe that was a television show. And to see that go on and become successful and licensed around the world and then be produced locally in a lot of markets, it was a huge pleasure. Another show, you know, we also distributed the FX content and talk about shows that were absolutely extraordinary, like the Americans, but were difficult for broad audience appeal. You know, they are more, they're going to have a, an incredible devoted audience, but it's not going to be the same audience that watches the big network show. Those were shows that you loved and wanted to do so well by, but were complicated to fully achieve what you wanted with them so this is the part of the show where i ask my guests for their lockdown film book music choice and box set so choosing from one from each what would get you through maybe what is a current lockdown or the next one that's around the corner what would I, what would you pick well first of all i'd like to say that retirement has provided me with a lot more time to watch television than i ever really did so i really been reveling in a lot of TV watching. Movies are, first of all, I enormously miss film because of the, of the pandemic. You know, the, the death of the movie industry has been proclaimed multiple times and, and it would just really kill me, I think. And, and the, the culture would be poorer for it. Our lives would be poorer for it if it doesn't find a way to, to stay vital. In a, in a time when it def desperately is challenged. And I understand that Spider-Man and films of that type are hugely appealing to young people and young people don't care if they get COVID. So they've been rushing to the theater despite the pandemic. But then a film like West Side Story, which I had a lot of misgivings about, being a huge fan of the original, was just such a wonderful film and deserved an audience, uh, but never really had an opportunity to find one since it coincided about with Omicron. Anyway, enough of the pandemic talk. But I think in terms of what I watch at home, this has been a, a time to revisit some old favorites. So watching the Die Hard trilogy, for 
instance, I don't like the later ones. One, two, and three are, and two, not even my favorite. One and three are really just wonderful uh, action pictures that sort of really are great. Terminator one and two, Aliens uh, one and two, Beyond that, not so much. But again, it's just watching some of those old trilogies and old original films are great. I mean, I, one of the first things I watched after I left work which again, retirement and pandemic kind of blends for me, was uh, Sunset Boulevard. And just some incredible older films. One of your uh, colleagues, or one of all of our colleagues, Sue Deeks at the BBC, sent me an English film, I Know What I Want, which was a lot of fun, old, old film. So, you know, it's been a really great time. I couldn't possibly pick one film, but it has been a great time to see old favorites, uh, book is interesting. I listen to most books because I like to do at least two things at the same time. So Audible is a huge favorite of mine. And I would say... Other services are available. I, I, um, other services yes. are available. No product placement on this podcast. <laughs> yes, and podcasts, of course, are one of the few businesses to truly explode during the pandemic. Um, I would say that Mirror in the Light, the Hilary Mantel book is a big favorite. Milkman by Anna Burns was a big favorite. I'm, I have a, almost an obsession with um, that time in Ireland of the Troubles. And, and this book, I don't know if you've read it, but this book is placed in them. And it is in the voice of a young woman. And it's a fascinating book. It won the Man Booker Prize. And the, the judge, when he it gave it the award, said, this is like climbing a mountain, but the view from the top is amazing. And it's true. It's not an easy read, but oh my God, it's remarkably rewarding. So that book is one. And I really like Amor Towles and Lincoln Highway is his current book, which is very good. Also, he did A Gentleman in Moscow, which you may know. It's one of his older titles. Anyway, there's just been a really nice opportunity again during the pandemic slash retirement of reading books. Uh, in terms of box set, you can only pick one now. You've had multiple I mean, oh, on the others. A, you, I'm going to have to restrict you to one of the in the next. I few know days. it's so hard, but I have first. I have to say, just anecdotally, that I would like to point out that 24 was maybe the first box set, or um, the X Files, both of which created a market for television series on on at then videotape. I think for me, I would have to say The Sopranos has been my box set pleasure. It's really just such a remarkable series. And it's been a real pleasure to be able to watch it without waiting week to week. And there are any number of ones I could talk about, but this one is one that I didn't really ever watch. So to be able to go back, unlike reviewing Game of Thrones or something, I watched that when it was on, but this one I never did because I didn't have time. And so to be able to really experience on the box set level, such an extraordinary experience, our series has been great. And also I like the movie very much that came out out of that just recently. So that'd be it for a series. So series, books and movies, is that it? Oh, music. And this is where I'm probably pretty disappointing because what I like is um, Spotify kind of find a channel and just let them pick for me. So. Spotify, I would say, has been my musical pal. Um, one album, 
maybe from your youth if you if you if you were stuck on a desert island and there was only one that you could um, have i think if i had to choose one album that i had to listen to for the rest of my life it would have to be classical because i think anything else i would finally want to shoot myself i'm a huge rolling stone fan but i couldn't name you a single album there since their heyday again i never have purchased a lot of music since I was a teenager at university. And now I just am so grateful that there are these channels who will put together great playlists on virtually any kind of music you want to listen to. So, and I think you should ask what people's favorite podcast. Oh, well that's, yes, that's, that's the next iteration. But, yeah, that is a business that we've all, a form of entertainment we've all gotten into, I think. And if we didn't before, we will have during the pandemic so and that what a wonderful world that is to explore and the answer of course is here comes pod so that's a rhetorical question of course is yours but as a (laughs) secondary voice but no it's 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 just a great and and you know and out of this will jump new uh series films etc and you know i think that is such a much richer future that we will have than going back and remaking old things before the scene so I'm, you know, thank you for contributing to that new, new form of entertainment. Well, Marion Edwards, thanks so much for being on the pod. It's been a, a fantastic pleasure to have you talking about the old days and your thoughts on more contemporary matters as well. I'm sure everyone w- wishes you very well in retirement and uh, all the things that you're doing in the years to come. But I'm sure also that everyone will always remember you as the fantastic Mrs. Fox as well. Well, thank you so much for that. And thank you again for asking me to be a part of this. Very interesting. And you've had many wonderful guests. So I'm very uh, grateful and happy to have asked to join that the pantheon of distribution and production executives. So thanks so much. 